Today is Thursday, January 25th, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A group of communists are continuing their attack on a Christian-owned coffee shop in Colorado. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to send us your thoughts. Quick Start Podcast at cbn.org. That's the email address. It's Friday, Junior, and we have a special treat today. Billy is in. Trey is now out today. Uh, they're swapping as Billy's been on assignment, but he's carved out some time to hop on the podcast today. Billy, happy Friday, Junior. How's it going? Happy Friday, Junior. You know, I can't complain. I'm in sunny Florida right go. now where it is 78 degrees, so oh, I can't oh, I can't complain. Very jealous. I'm very jealous <laughs> of that. It's it's warmer now. Our snow is melting, but it's a lot uh, cooler than 78. I'll just say that. But as I mentioned at the top, Billy, we've got this. Um, we talked to him before, this owner of the Christian Coffee Shop, but there, this isn't going away anytime soon. No, it's not. It's crazy. And this coffee shop, the the Drip Cafe out in Colorado, they have been under protest by communists and the LGBTQ community now for months. The last mm. time we talked to him was August, and so we'll get a little update today. All right, looking forward to that for the focus story. On the main thing, Israelis are now starting to bury those reservists who fell in the deadliest day so far for Israel when 21 IDF reservists were killed. CBN's Chris Mitchell has the details on that for today's main thing. Don't forget to subscribe to our new podcast, The Newsmakers Podcast, and also to our DC Debrief Podcast with John Stolness on everything going on in DC for the week. That's a weekly. Newsmakers is a um, weekday daily. So make sure you get those the links in the description of this podcast. All right, housekeeping's out of the way. Now it's time to get through the news here in 90 seconds. The Ohio Senate has voted to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto against Ohio House Bill 68. Vote was 23 to 9. The bill would have banned tra- uh, the bill would ban transgender minors from receiving gender-affirming medical care, they call it gender-affirming, their words, not mine, and prevent transgender girls from taking part in girls' and women's sports. And then the Ohio House voted to override this veto uh, on January 10th. And so basically the translation here, the bill was created to stop the use of these puberty blockers and hormone therapies and the surgeries that would transition kids. Governor Mike DeWine, a Republican, went against typical party lines and tried to argue that the parents should make healthcare decisions for their children, not the state. The Ohio Senate then voted to override the governor's veto there. A lot of conservatives are celebrating this as a win. A Vermont high school snowboarding coach fired for stating that males are biologically different than females is filing an appeal in federal court after the school district denied his request for reinstatement. The coach had told two of his athletes that there are biological differences between men and women. And as the fat lady singing CBN's David Brody thinks so, check out his last election, his latest election analysis and news on CBN's 2024 campaign notebook. It's our daily running update on everything election. You can check that out. We'll link to it again in the description of this podcast episode. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more at CBNnews.com. 
And this was this one's interesting up in Ohio, Billy. And these two stories together, you got this Vermont coach. This is part of this post-truth society we seem to be progressing towards where people are going on feelings and these radical transgender ideologies. And interesting to see what happened in court here in Ohio. People like Riley Gaines are calling this a win. And also interesting to see Governor Mike DeWine, a Republican, who was trying to veto this thing. So it's maybe a sign of harbinger of things to come when these types of bills are put forward in other states. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to really see this kick up this year. We've talked a lot about this, obviously, in news stories that we've covered over the last two years. But I think as the election approaches, you're going to see education more broadly. This issue of LGBTQ, you know, specifically transgender people having different ideologies, traditional ideologies that culture has held for you know two millennia. Suddenly, not only are those people being derided, they're being driven out of their positions, their jobs, they're being harassed, they're having to fight for very basic rights. And so I, I think you're going to see this really rise up to be a big 2024 issue. Yeah. And look, I mean, we talk about this post-truth society that we're living in and and it really ends up being people parroting and like this mainstreaming of radical transgender ideologies. And you saw it with this book banning line that that a lot on the progressive left were trying to push, saying that Ron DeSantis and others want to ban books when in reality you have them wanting to keep sexually graphic material out of our public schools. I don't know if you saw this clip, Billy, but Joy Reid was trending from MSNBC the other day. She tried to go after Tiffany Justice. She's with Moms for Liberty. I don't think she knew, Billy, that Tiffany was going to know the contents of this book. And man, what a counter. She's like, well, what about this book banning? This is this, this is this. She tried to paint it flowery. And she's like, well, that's a sexually graphic book with this and this happening in it. And she said those same things are banned for kids trying to go on the internet. So if they go on the internet and search it, they can't because it's blocked, but yet you're arguing for this book to be in here. It was just an incredible moment. And I think so much of what we're seeing are these sort of radical activists and their talking points being mainstreamed. And then it was good to see somebody sort of push back with a dose of reality on that. This idea that something is being banned when it, it, they're acting like it's not allowed to be printed or present anywhere. No, it's not allowed to be right. with children. Like, yeah, you know, there are lots of things that can't be. You're not banning pornography by not putting it in a school. You're you're not right. allowing it in the school because it's inappropriate for children. And so I think, yeah, the way we use language matters. And I feel like we keep again and again allowing people to hijack language to manipulate people into feeling a certain way that is not quite accurate to what's going on. Yeah, and we get and we get lost in like party lines. Like, I, I mean, I it's it's almost flabbergasting that. Um, people would argue to keep these pornographic books in school. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you yeah. landing in this spot where you're like, you know what we need to keep in here are these books that talk about other kids having sex. It's like, that's that you, that gets you arrested normally, or at least in a sane society it would. And here you have people advocating to keep that in there. I think just people are blinded by these radical camps that we're putting each other in right, left. And it's like, come on, just have a little common sense there. But uh, nevertheless, um, I, I digress on that one. That is uh, uh, something that I'm glad to see happen in Ohio. We'll see if it keeps spreading around the country. But right now we are going to head on over to our focus story. And something I'm not happy about seeing is this Christian coffee shop in Colorado that we reported on, as Billy mentioned earlier this summer. They're still facing these attacks from communist groups. And uh, that owner said his business and ministry have 
continue to be under attack. What's going on here? What's the latest? Yeah, this story is kind of wild. If people have not heard about it, back in August, we last covered it. Jamie Sanchez is the founder of Recycle God's Love. And he, again, talked with us last summer about all the chaos going on around his coffee shop. It's called the Drip Cafe. Um, He launched it to basically further his mission through Recycle God's Love, his organization. It's a ministry project. They do something called Project Revive, and they help the homeless through employment, through resources. They try to connect those without homes and resources to much-needed resources. And so he told us the Drip Cafe is basically an idea that that grows out of that. The inevitable goal was to launch a for-profit coffee shop that could employ people who are homeless, that could be sort of a beacon in the community. And so it's in, from what I understand, a relatively progressive area. And from the minute they opened their doors, they started facing all sorts of protests. And so it was June, I believe, that they opened up the Drip Cafe. And immediately there was allegedly shouting and all sorts of protesting. I mean, people showing up with signs. And according to witnesses, including according to Sanchez, basically trying to convince people not to enter the coffee shop. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole sort of ideology behind why they're doing this. But the bottom line is you would think, okay, this started in June when we talked to him in August, it was still going on. Maybe it has dissipated, but in a recent interview, he told us it has not stopped. Their protests moved from weekly protests to monthly, but they are apparently still showing up every month and taking to social media to protest the coffee shop. What started it all? Because, I mean, how did they even find out he was a Christian? And what sort of kickstarted them into wanting to make these protests in the first place? So as far as we can tell, when you look at the Denver Communists Facebook page, they do talk about the Drip Cafe. They encourage people to show up to protest. You can see all sorts of different messages about that. They always sort of praise their, they just recently had a protest. They were um, sort of praising those who showed up for it. Um, it seemed, but basically from what, from what we can tell, there was a statement of biblical sexuality that was on recycle God's love. Remember that's Jamie Sanchez's, yeah. um, organization on their website. And that was apparently the catalyst for all of this. And that original statement, it, it was titled homosexuality and it had the organization's stance on that. And, and so they were quoting scripture, you know, first Corinthians six, nine, and, They ended up actually, and this is interesting, Sanchez said they changed the language not long after the cafe opened to make it a little clearer. They wanted to make the ministry's intent about love and truth more straightforward. They weren't abandoning the truth, but they cleared up some of the wording in it because that that wording about homosexuality seemed to be what was sparking the anger of these organizations. Now, they they cleared the language up and it still didn't stop the protest. Right. So um, at the end of the day, but that, that really did seem to be the catalyst. Like, Oh, this organization's opening this in a neighborhood perceived to be LGBTQ friendly. How dare they come here to this neighborhood? Mm. So, yeah, you mentioned that they switched from weekly to monthly sort of updates. What else do you know that's going on that might be different uh, happening that wasn't happening before? Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's colder out, you know, the seasons have changed. And I'm sure at some point you lose some steam. I don't know if that's the case. It seems like they still have a lot of steam going in terms of their protests. But, yeah, the the goal has seemed to be allegedly to shut down the cafe, right? And and it seems even some of the language is like, we don't want them here. Um, So I think what's changed is probably the weather. But but also they're persisting in this, right? When I asked Jamie why he thought 
this is going on. He really attributed it to spiritual warfare. And he said, by now they should realize that they're not affecting us the way that they thought they would. Their goal is very clear. It's on their site. It's on their posters. They want us to shut down. Um, he said a lot of things are being claimed in this, right? So like they'll say, uh, the cafe hates gay people. It seeks to exploit the homeless. He said they'll make up lies about him personally. He said, quote, they stand outside with a blowhorn and they're screaming. If a customer tries to walk in the door that just as a regular person trying to come in, they will scream in the blowhorn and say, don't go in there. Don't go in there. Literally scare them from even wanting to come in to the cafe. I would mention, too, that and this is kind of heartbreaking. Um, Sanchez is a widower. He's got young kids. Mm. And so he's a young guy. I lost his wife. And he said that some of these personal attacks have even included his late wife. He said they've used his late wife's death as a tool to, he said that they were sort of accusing him of using it as a tool to make people feel sorry for him. And that that was painful, you know, for him. Like now this horrible thing he's gone through is being brought into this. Yeah, that's, that's really awful. And man, I I just think about that, that um, nugget in particular about him being a widower and then them being out there. And I think what's their purpose here? Like what, what is the ultimate end goal of them wanting so desperately to get this one Christian coffee owner shop owner to not be in there anymore. What, what I, I know they might not agree with his beliefs, but there's no actual harm going on here. And it's these perceived offenses. When someone doesn't agree with me that now we've got to shut everyone else down who, who doesn't agree with me. It seems like that is the problem that we're dealing with here in society. Live and let live used to be something that, a lot of people could kind of employ in their daily lives. All right, well, there's somebody I disagree with. Well, I'm going to, maybe I'll even buy something from their coffee shop. I'm just going to get coffee and go on my way. They're not going to get assaulted or attacked or anything. But now we've we've morphed into this society where you really are acting like any disagreement with beliefs you have is this violent assault on your very nature. And that type of thinking has to stop. We're not going to get very far as a society. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one one positive thing here, he said that the cafe, you asked about the things that are changing. Yeah. They are actually prepared to hire their first person who's homeless to work there. So they're they're gearing up for that and they want to do more of that, obviously. They've been just trying to stabilize so they can operate their business to get to that yeah. point. No, and like let's keep praying for uh this owner and others like him that that God would bless that effort and that God would keep him from falling into the trap of frustration and anger, which I'm sure he's got to be frustrated and angry at times when this is happening and people are getting chased out of his store. So pray that God would bless his efforts there and that hopefully, ultimately, hearts and minds would be changed by seeing how he responds in this situation. So appreciate the appreciate the update on this one, Billy. That's something we'll definitely be keeping an eye on in the future as this thing plays out. All right. We are going to head over to the main thing now. And Israelis, as I mentioned earlier, are starting to bury those IDF reservists who died in the deadliest days so far uh, for Israel in this war uh, with Hamas. CBN's Chris Mitchell has the details and Ephraim Graham contributes as well on today's main thing. Today, families began to bury the soldiers who died in Gaza. The brother of Lieutenant Hadar Kaplik said goodbye. My brother, I love you. You are my world. I will take care of mom, dad, and the sisters. I will be strong for you, and we will meet in the future. On Tuesday, the IDF chief of staff visited the site where the soldiers died. 
Hamas terrorists fired RPGs at the building where the IDF was setting explosives. We, as always, will investigate the incident in depth and learn the lessons while fighting so that such an incident will not happen again. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu mourned along with the nation and vowed to keep fighting. We bow our heads to the memory of our fallen, and yet we do not for a moment stop striving for an irreplaceable goal, the achievement of total victory. Together, we will fight, and God willing, together, we will win. Now, more than 100 days after October 7th, the plight of the hostages remains on the hearts and minds of Israelis. One of the freed hostages described life under Hamas captivity. I was there for 51 days. There wasn't a minute that we didn't go through something, abuse, in all forms. And they are still there, surviving, barely. Aviva Siegel described the captives as treated like puppets on a string. I want to tell you that the terrorists bring inappropriate clothes, dolls' clothes, and they turned these girls into their dolls, puppets on a string. You can do whatever you want with them, whenever you want. And it's still unbelievable that they are still there. National Security Spokesman John Kirby described the current negotiations to free the hostages as sober and serious. Israeli government spokesman Ilan Levy told CBN News why he wears what he calls hostage dog tags. You use it as an opportunity to talk about the 253 men, women and children who were abducted from their beds on October 7th, dragged into the Hamas terror dungeons, some with life-changing injuries, limbs blown off, gunshot wounds to the hands, a third of whom have chronic conditions, who have been held incommunicado without access to the Red Cross. Levi says the clock is ticking. Time is running out for them. Time has already run out for those who were executed. And we want all friends, allies and people and nations of conscience around the world to demand their immediate and unconditional release. And until then, to demand that the Red Cross get access to the hostages so it can give them the medical treatment that they desperately need so they can escape from that hellhole alive and safe. And Chris Mitchell joins us now from Jerusalem. So, Chris, what is the latest on a possible deal to release the hostages? Well, Ephraim, right now, Reuters is reporting a deal is getting closer, but uh, Hamas is insisting on a permanent ceasefire. Israel, on the other hand, saying they won't end the war with Hamas still intact. Uh, that deal could involve a month-long ceasefire in exchange for Palestinian prisoners and for some of the hostages. That kind of deal has been done before, and for more aid to go to Gaza. So Israel's proposal would be for a two-month ceasefire and then exchange for hostages in stages. And also, according to this deal, Yahya Sinwar, who's the top leader in Hamas and other leaders, would be allowed to go to other countries. On the other hand, JNS News is reporting that this is all fake news and that Hamas is not getting closer to a deal. In fact, an Israeli official telling Hamas, or telling them that actually Hamas's positions are getting harder. But uh, regardless, as Alon Levy said in our report, time's running out for the hostages. And I just want to show you, Ephraim, one of these uh, dog tags. The, they're all over Israel. Many Israelis, many Jews around the world are, are wearing them. It says, bring them home now. And in Hebrew, it says, our hearts are still in Gaza. So just a reminder for so many here in Israel of uh, the many hostages that are still in captivity by Hamas. What are the former hostages saying about the conditions of those who are still being held captive? 
Well, sexual assaults, not only just on women, but on men. Uh, there's fears, uh, Ephraim, of some of the hostage women are getting pregnant. Apparently, some of the women have already stopped having their periods. Uh, some of the Hamas captors have been saying, taunting the women that they'd be married off. Uh, the daughter of the woman in our report said her mother's testimony is just the tip of the iceberg. And, uh, and in her testimony, she screamed right now that somebody's getting sexually assaulted inside Gaza. Uh, her father and Aviva's uh, husband, who gave their testimony, she remains in captivity. And uh, they also kept the hostages from comforting one another. And right now, uh, there's about 130 remaining captivity. And the IDF has discovered that about 28 have died. Most of them, about 27, have been, been murdered by Hamas. Is the IDF satisfied with the progress it's making against Hamas? And are there concerns about a widening war in the Middle East? Uh, well, they are to some extent. Uh, they, they've killed right now about 20 or 30 percent, apparently, of Hamas uh, uh, fighters, and they, uh, that's according to the IDF intelligence. It's less than their goal so far, but they've substantially reduced Hamas's ability to wage war. In fact, northern Gaza is almost totally in control of the IDF. Uh, there is concern here that some of those in, uh, that some nations like the U.S. and others, that Israel will be pressured to stop short of a victory and that somehow Hamas will survive. Uh, for Hamas, some have said, you don't have to win, you just have not to lose. And that's how Hamas has survived wars in the past. They've taken enormous damage, but somehow survived. They come out of their tunnels and then they proclaim victory. So that, yes, uh, and there is a lot of concern about leading to a wider war Israel's weary from months of war already, but there's a sense it needs to defeat Hamas, Hezbollah rather, on the northern front. There's about 100,000 Israelis that can't return home because it's so dangerous up there in the border. So uh, it looks like there's going to be a continued war for months throughout uh, 2024. Let's talk more about the explosion that killed those 21 Israeli soldiers. What more has Israel learned about that blast? Well, what uh, unfortunately and tragically what happened is that the, uh, they were laying mines to destroy some of the buildings that were used by Hamas. And, uh, and they've been doing that all the way throughout this military campaign, destroying buildings that were used as military infrastructure, destroying these tunnels. This apparently was trying to set up a buffer between Israel and Gaza. Uh, but Hamas terrorists were nearby. They fired an RPG and that prematurely set off these mines collapsed these buildings. That's when 19 soldiers died, and then two more were killed in a tank nearby. It's the single deadliest incident since the start of the ground campaign. So yesterday, Ephraim, was a very sad day here in Israel. Mm. Let me ask uh, you, is the Israeli public following the U.S. presidential race, and uh, what do they do? What do they think about it if they are? They are following it. In fact, I was at the gym yesterday, Ephraim, and uh, there was a conversation about, you know, do we want Trump? And uh, somebody was saying that uh, Trump is uh, going to bring us war. Another guy was saying, well, we're in a war already. So they're talking about it because they know it's going to have a huge impact on Israel and the Middle East. Many here are thankful for Biden, but feel like he may be pressuring Israel too much in its presidential and military campaign. And I've heard uh, also that by judging what uh, President Trump did Four years ago, that uh, or almost nearly four years ago, they, he supported Israel so much that they think he would be a welcome presidency. All right, Chris Mitchell from Jerusalem, thank you so much. And as always, please continue to stay safe. Our prayers are with you and the team. 
All right. Thanks so much, Ephraim and Chris Mitchell, for bringing us the latest going on over there in Israel. All right. That's going to leave us with time here on this Friday Junior Edition of the podcast for one last thing. We've got Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And when we think about the stories we covered today and so many others, just remembering to put fear to the side and trust no matter what we're going through. Yeah. Uh, always easier said than done. I mean, it's very easy to fear men. I mean, whether it's potentially losing your job or people attacking you, trying to get your business um, to, to go away. I mean, it's, uh, easier said than done, but Psalm 27 and verses like that remind us to keep our focus eternal and, uh, keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. All right. Appreciate you all for being here. As always, get on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, that creek don't rise on us. We shall return tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.